Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, May 25th. I'm Anastasia Yaglova. At yesterday's lunch forum at Cato, panelists attempted to answer the question, are civil liberties at risk in the war on terror? One of the speakers, American Freedom Agenda Chairman Bruce Fine, made the case against the rollback of civil liberties that we have seen since the attacks of September 11, 2001. Bruce is the guest on today's podcast. To begin, what does your group, the American Freedom Agenda, seek to accomplish? It's a twofold mission. First of all, we've identified 10 legislative changes that are necessary in order to restore the Constitution's checks and balances and protections against government abuses. And we have a bill that's pending in Congress. The second mission is to make these issues of checks and balances and government abuses post 9-11 staples of debate in the presidential campaign for 2008 and then in the congressional campaigns that will begin next year. So we have a vigorous public debate about what ought to be done irrespective of the court's uh, statements with regard to our civil liberties and freedoms and structural protections in an atmosphere we're viewed as being at war. Well, with regard to that current debate about civil liberties, uh, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez famously argued that there is no express grant of habeas corpus in the Constitution. What did you think of that argument? It's nonsense. The Constitution provides for exceptions for habeas corpus in times of rebellion or invasion. You don't need an exception for something unless you have a right to be accepted from. The Attorney General's statement has no constitutional standing whatsoever. But what did you think of your co-panelist Andrew McCarthy's argument that rewarding illegal enemy combatants, habeas corpus, and due process is a kind of open invitation to al-Qaeda to continue with its illegal activities? Well, I think that's counterfactual. There's nothing that rewards people by giving them due process. It rewards ourselves, so that we only punish and detain those who are guilty or, or have committed some wrong or created danger and let those who are not implicated free. One of the greatest dangers we have is detaining or mistreating those who are innocent of complicity in terrorism because they are the poster children that you will see on Al Jazeera to enable al-Qaeda to recruit on the theory that the United States is not against terrorism, but just against Muslims. Because if there are errors to be made, where are they going to be made? Those whose names you can't pronounce. Those are the people who are being held at Guantanamo Bay. And there has not been a showing that whatever procedural protections are given in habeas corpus results in an inability to detain those who are, in fact, complicit in terrorism. There simply is not evidence that that is a danger. But isn't there such a thing as extra constitutionality? No, the Constitution provides for all occasions, all times, and all places, including war. And the idea that somehow there's a higher law than the Constitution is an invitation to ending the rule of law. What are the standards by which you identify that period of time where you can put the Constitution in a deep freezer? Whatever you try to define it as, you can guarantee that a president will use it because obviously he gains more power when he's no longer constrained by vetting and checks. Well, President Bush lost Hamdi v. Rumsfeld, Hamdan, and now a district judge struck down the NSA wiretapping program as unconstitutional. So given that, what do you think now the greatest threats to civil liberties are? Well, these decisions that you've identified haven't put to rest the major issues that we confront with regard to still using military commissions under a new statute. With regard to the president's continuing insistence that he's won a wiretap and intercept our emails and break and enter homes without warrants, irrespective of what the courts have said today. And it doesn't perhaps address the most important element here, and this is the idea of government secrecy. If it weren't for the newspapers, we wouldn't even be having this debate over warrantless surveillance program or half the things that was done. The president continues to invoke state 
state secrets and executive privilege to keep Congress and the American people in the dark as to what spying programs are underway, how he is encroaching on our civil liberties. We may not know what kind of huge data pool he's keeping and can leak to our employers, to our social friends or otherwise to punish or retaliate for our political opinions. And those remain clear and present danger irrespective of the decisions that you've identified. What kind of a precedent has all this set for future administrations and future presidents to resume these kinds of excessive uses of executive power? Well, it's quite dangerous because we are in a state of permanent warfare in the eyes of the executive branch in Congress. Namely, any time any terrorist anywhere in the world threatens an American, there's always going to be that state or condition for the next hundred years or more. And that means that the precedents being set that you can work outside the law are here forever. That means we have to be very vigilant in ensuring that both the political system and the courts repudiate that very alarming doctrine that would have been horrifying to the founding fathers who believed that if men were angels, we wouldn't have a constitution. And that we have to assume that human nature is going to be as depraved in the executive branch as in human nature generally, and that we must guard against the tendency towards oppression by checks and balances. The precedent that says the president has authority because we should trust him is one that's totally foreign to our founding fathers. Bruce, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Cato Daily Podcast. Enjoy the long Memorial Day weekend.